Hi friends, I'm very much looking forward to sharing with you out of our passage today. Now, I don't know if you've been following the Euros over the past weeks. You might not be a football fan, or you might be one of those people who has become one as the competition has gone on. I'm an England supporter, and earlier this week we beat Germany, we made it to the quarterfinals, an historic win for this young England team. Now, I'm recording this before the quarterfinals, but you will know what happened. I mean, did we win? Did we make it? Well, you know, whatever the result, this tension for me right now serves to illustrate some much deeper truth, not only in our passage today about King David, but in the whole sweep of the biblical narrative and the still unfolding story of the church today. Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode of Arts and Crafts with Jamie. Uh, today we are going to be making something very special, we're going to be making a paper crown. Uh, so uh, the first thing you are going to need is uh, some paper, obviously. Uh, I've gone for some very on-brand SPS red here, but uh, really any colour is fine, um, whatever you like. And uh, the next thing you're going to need is uh, a pair of scissors. Now always remember, safety first with scissors, uh, that's very important. Uh, and then uh, a pen uh, or a pencil if you're uh, less confident in your abilities. And uh, also you're going to need uh, some tape or uh, adhesive. I've gone for some um, sort of sparkly tape, but really any tape is fine. So without further ado, let's do it. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for forty years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah for thirty-three years. David occupied the stronghold and named the city of David, David built the city all around them, from the millow inwards. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So, David becomes king. His journey here has been pretty epic. This is David, the youngest of eight brothers, the shepherd boy who was chosen by God and anointed to be king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. This is David, who was to replace Saul, Israel's first king, who had broken his covenant with God. But as many of you will know, David doesn't become king straight away. He must wait. But when David was anointed as a teenager, the Bible says, from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 
Now, this is not just some turn of phrase in the Hebrew. This is a specific reference to part of God's power being given to David, becoming part of David from here on in. And when we then see the outworking of this power, first of all, David ends up in the court of King Saul as a musician, because when David played, the king felt soothed. Then he fights the giant Goliath and says he does so in the name of the Lord Almighty. He defeats him and he goes on to defeat the enemies of Israel for years. He becomes famous with people writing songs about him and all of this before he's even king. A rift in the people of God emerges and in the center of it, King Saul, who is anointed king, but who's no longer operating in the power of God's Holy Spirit, Saul casts David out of Israel and hunts him to kill him. Then almost two decades from his first anointing by Samuel, David becomes king following Saul's death. As we heard from the reading, David is 30 years old when he becomes king. As David becomes king, a number of significant things happen. First is that the nation of Israel, which had become fractured into two parts, is united again. Not only does David win the war with the surrounding enemies, but he brings peace to the civil war, the inner war of Israel, where they had made enemies of themselves. But second is that David becomes the representative of God's life, his spirit being put back into Israel. Now, let me explain for a second. In verse one of 2 Samuel chapter five, we discover that it says, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. The phrase that they use, your own flesh and blood, is a specific phrase that traditionally had a third part to it flesh, blood, and life. When the tribes unite and use this phrase, they infer that they are the flesh and blood of the body of Israel, but David is the life, the part that makes the flesh and blood come alive. Another way of understanding this is that they see him as the breath that brings them back to life, the very spirit of life for Israel made possible because the spirit of God was upon David. So they anoint David as the life-bringer king. And we read in verse 10 that he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. What was it like for David in between that first anointing as a child and this anointing as king? You know, so much happens through him over that time. Despite him not being king yet, he was always destined to become king. But did he believe that? Did he know that? And if he did, was it that that motivated him, even in the face of suffering, rejection and attack? On one of many occasions when Saul was trying to kill David, but David ends up with the opportunity to kill Saul, and yet David chooses not to, David, when he's telling Saul about this at a safe distance afterwards, uh, he says, the Lord gave you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. In the moment where David is able to force his becoming king to happen, where it even seems that God has opened up a way for him to take hold of the promised kingship, he refuses to take Saul's life and chooses instead to value it as he values his own life. 
In the now of that moment, David does not let any longing for the not yet dictate his choice. And throughout David's journey in the now of his first anointing and the not yet of his becoming king, he consistently chooses personal integrity and reverence to God above all other things. What are you like in the tension of the now and the not yet? I started by talking about the football and the not yet knowing the score when you know it now, but this is about things much deeper in us than that. You know, many people struggle to live in the present. We get stuck thinking about the past, regret, guilt, or hurt. Or we get lost thinking about the future in worry, anxiety, or even aspiration and longing. What if you could be content right now? What would that gift look like for you? Well, God offers us the gift that can bring that And amazingly, he does not do that by helping us ignore the past or the future, but he does it by helping us to deal with the past and the future. When Jesus is 30 years old, he is baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit. After 40 days of resisting temptation in the desert, he returns in the power of the Spirit and he gets up in a synagogue and he reads from Isaiah a passage about Israel's promised king, telling the people, that he was that king. The spirit of the Lord is on me, he says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the anointed king of Israel. And we discover the king above all rulers in the universe because he is the son of God. He is the one who is able to free you from the past, but also from the future. So how does he do that? I'm going to finish by just looking at how Jesus deals with the then, the not yet, and the now. The then. Jesus deals with our past primarily with forgiveness. Now, where we cannot earn forgiveness, Jesus gives his life so that we might be forgiven. This is Christ's victory over the claims of evil on our life through our broken choices. He frees us by his forgiveness. Now, are there things in your past that you need forgiveness for? Is there someone you need to forgive today? Could forgiveness free you from where you are stuck or create clarity in the midst of confusion. Unforgiveness keeps us stuck in the past. You know, it kills relationships, it destroys families, it starts wars. But we have heard the good news of Jesus. This is Jesus who empowers you to be free. Forgive as he forgives. The not yet. Well, Jesus deals with our future by revealing to us God's plan to make all things new. This is the promise of the kingdom of God, which Jesus reveals as both now and not yet. When David becomes king, the restoration of Israel began afresh. The new life, they thought, had come, yet it was never fully realized. Then Jesus came the fulfillment of Jewish hope, the true king. He died and rose again, fully revealed as the hope of the whole world, the kingdom of God realized in Jesus. 
But for us, the realities of the kingdom of God are, are now and not yet. We live in the tension of seeing some breakthrough, the realities of healing, deliverance from evil, what is hidden in the dark coming into the light. We witness salvation, yet we also witness suffering, evil deeds, hate, tragedy, fractures across the whole planet. As humans, we respond to this, this pain in a way, in the way we always have. We, we lower our gaze to something lower than the promises of God. In our westernized hyper-consumerism, we can become fixated on the not yet. The not yet of, of body image, of, of wealth, of popularity, recognition, romance, or, or even productivity. You know, when I have reached my goal then, or when I've done this then, when I am loved like that, I will. You know, for so many of us, we are stuck in what we do not have yet and may never have. The harsh reality is that this also applies to the things we catch a glimpse of in the presence of Jesus. We might be waiting for healing that hasn't come yet. We may have seen people we love lose their life because the fullness of God's kingdom has not yet come. But even though it hurts, Jesus invites us to hope through him. We do not know when he's coming back, but Jesus deals with our future by telling us that he is there. There will be a day when he makes all things new, when he unites all nations, restores all that has been taken and broken by evil. A day where there'll be no more death, no more tears, no more when then or not yet. So what about the now? Well, through Jesus, the same anointing that made David king, that powered him to fight a giant, calms, calm source mental torment, win wars, resist temptation, and to wait for what was promised to him. Through Jesus, that same Holy Spirit is made freely available to us. And the Spirit is here now, with you, with me. The fruit of the Spirit bears witness to it, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things, which only come from God, allow us to live in the fullness of the now and to trust him with our past and our future. So let's pause for a moment as we come to an end. You may just wanna make yourself aware of God being with you, just offer up to him your whole life, past, present, future surrendering the unknowns. You know, you are flesh and blood, but Jesus invites and, and allows the Holy Spirit to, to come and give us new life. Jesus' blood frees us from the past. His spirit fills us for the now, and he promises us that there will be a day when all things will be made new. So I pray just now that God would give you patience, that God would give you freedom where you need it, that he would release you to be someone who forgives. And I pray that you may be filled afresh today, even today, with the Holy Spirit. Amen.